In this essay I will be discussing whether the statement from Anthony Adolf regarding perpetual peace the history of peace after Kant's perpetual peace is a series of footnotes to it has any merit. In the first part I will discuss what Kant's main argument in the book is, focusing on his arguments about liberal peace. In the second part I will look at the main parts of history after Kant relating to peace movements and argue why I think Kant's philosophy of peace became more relevant in the 20th and 21st century rather than the 19th century. Therefore, I think that history after Kant is not a series of footnotes to perpetual peace. Perpetual Peace? Immanuel Kant's 1795 essay Perpetual Peace is often looked at as the birth of idealism in international relations theory. Being a part of the Enlightenment, Kant breaks with previous traditions of realism in international relations theory from earlier thinkers like Hobbes, by envisioning a future world of perpetual peace. Kant lays out six preliminary articles and three definitive articles, with some supplements and appendices, looking at the process towards perpetual peace and long and gradual, Bennett, Zachary, perpetual peace, a philosophical sketch. Preliminary articles. The first article Kant states a democratic control over peace treaties that would work in favor of the people, instead of the secret diplomacy between people of power that has little interest in peace. The second article says that no state should acquire another state by any means. The third article wants to abolish all standing armies, however, this does not mean citizen armies for the purpose of self-defense. The fourth article states should not be allowed to borrow money to finance wars. Furthermore, Article 5 states that national sovereignty should be upheld, in other words no state intervention by any means. Lastly, Article 6 states that Jew and Bello, the laws of war, should be respected by all states, Corey, Nottam, Lecture, Kant's Perpetual Peace. These preliminary articles reflect Kant's acceptance of the limits to achieving perpetual peace in the short term, as war is not outlawed, but rather regulated. It very much reflects how war is viewed today, with how international law regulates how war should be fought. However, these are preliminary articles, which indicates just a first step towards the goal of perpetual peace, Bennett, Zachary. Definitive Articles In the next part, Kant lays out definitive articles which are the necessary conditions of perpetual peace. This is where Kant's main argument for lasting peace is stated, and clearly shows his liberal political theory. In the first definitive article, Kant argues for a republican constitution in every state. Kant links republicanism with domestic and international peace, and that non-republics disrupt world peace, Corey, lecture, perpetual peace. This argument for peace has later come to be known as democratic peace theory, meaning there are no examples of democracies fighting wars against each other. However, Kant does make the distinction between a representative republican system and a democracy where people rule without representatives. Kant argues that in a republic popular consent in required for a state to go to war and that consent is highly unlikely because of the sacrifice average people would be required to make, Bennett, Zachary. In the second definitive article, Kant makes an interesting argument of creating a federation of states. To uphold international law and peace, republics should create a federation of republics. In this argument, Kant makes a Hobbesian argument for republican states to seek security in each other, as he thinks peace cannot exist if left by themselves. Republics can voluntarily join if they play by the rules, and the members are obligated to defend one another. This argument for peace feels very closely linked with two contemporary organizations, namely the United Nations and the European Union, however I will come back to this later. Furthermore, according to Republican peace theory, this federation will be peaceful because Republican states never go to war with one another, and free trade and cooperation makes war less likely. The end goal for Kant would be that every state on earth joins the federation. Kant does however make the distinction between a federation and a superstate, as he argues the latter would become tyrannical over time and it loses touch with its citizens, 
Corey, lecture, Perpetual Peace. In the third and last definitive article Kant argues that states must treat foreigners with hospitality. He insists that no one has any superior claim to any part of the earth, and every individual has a right to travel and establish themselves around the world without hostility. This is a very cosmopolitan view of global politics, and in a cosmopolitan spirit Kant also oppose the European imperialism of his time, Bennett, Zachary. History after Kant it was not before the 19th century that people's aspirations for a peaceful society took a more physical form. In Europe and America some people began to form voluntary societies to advocate on behalf of peace. However, these societies have had varied ideologies and popularity through the centuries and reached a significant scale of popularity by the turn of the 20th century. Most of the movements for peace has the Concert of Europe as its historical context, Courtright, David, Peace P. 25. After Napoleon was defeated in the early 19th century, the four European countries in the Quadruple Alliance met to create the Concert of Europe. The alliance was conservative in its ideology and the purpose was to return to pre-revolutionary times and re-establish the old European order. With a focus on stability and holding on to traditions of aristocracy and emperors, the alliance hit hard against any revolutionary attempts disturbing the peace. This meant that democratic, nationalist and socialist movements was hit hard while the Concert of Europe was active. With a focus on peace conferences, secret diplomacy played a central part in the concert. Together, the countries would defend each other against the threat of revolution and keeping the balance of power in check. This collective security organization was very much the opposite of what Kant was arguing for. So, the peace movements that arose in the 19th century was working against this European status quo. The concert of Europe would slowly die out during the latter half of the century, Corey, Nottam, Lecture, Peace Movements ideological movements of the 19th century. Three of the main challengers to the status quo of the 19th were the Christian, nationalist, and socialist movements. In especially America and Great Britain peace societies based on Christianity and pacifism took hold during the 19th century. Based in a religious revivalism in Europe and the horrors of the Napoleonic Wars, the peace societies were founded by middle-class liberals, and were not particularly inclusive to members below this socio-economic ladder. Throughout the 19th century peace societies differed on two fundamental issues, whether to completely outlaw war or not, and whether to link peace with other social issues like slavery or women's rights, Courtright p. 30. Peace societies continued spreading throughout Europe during the last half of the century until the Hague Conference right at the end in 1899. While it gave hope to the prospect of peace, it sadly failed to produce anything meaningful. The peace movements were far too weak politically and ideologically and could not stop the direction Europe was heading towards in 1914. It could not stop the tidal force of nationalism, socialism, geopolitics and economic isolationism, Courtright, p. 42-43. During the 19th century, nationalism would become one of the most dominant ideologies in Europe. A central figure in the nationalist movement was Italian nationalist Giuseppe Mazzini, who actively fought against the Concert of Europe. The movement was not pacifist in essence however, as nationalists saw revolution as the only instrument towards the goal of creating a nation. However, after this struggle a family of nations would be created, and peace would become eternal. As we know now, this theory was far from the truth, as two of the bloodiest wars in history have been fought on the basis of this ideology. However, during the 19th century, nationalism was revolutionary and associated with peace, Corey, lecture, peace movements. The last main ideology of the 19th century was the socialist movement. Socialists, separate to nationalists, were internationalists by nature as they looked at class structures rather than nations as the main issue. However, like the nationalist movement, 
the socialist movement were not pacifists, class struggle and revolution were the main goal towards an eternal peace. The revolution would end when the oppressed wins over the oppressor. Just like all the other movements, the socialist's main opponent during the 19th century were the conservatives in the concert of Europe. However, what would become an even more dangerous adversary to the socialist movement, especially in the 20th century, were the nationalists. During the 19th century, these movements would disagree on fundamental things, as nationalists were fighting for the nations of the world to unite. In the 20th century, socialists and communists would be persecuted by nationalists in many places in Europe. Socialists also disagreed with liberal democrats and capitalists, arguing that these ideologies worked to split the people and would bring war, quarry, lecture, peace movements. Compared to the liberal thinking of Kant, these separate ideologies and movements were dominating the 19th century. While many of the peace conferences during the time had liberal aspirations for peace inspired by perpetual peace, they never managed to amass enough influence and effect make a change. The conferences and peace societies were too split ideologically, and never got the support from key players among the European powers. It would not be before the 20th century that Kant's ideas truly took hold. The 20th century My main argument in this essay is why I think perpetual peace was not truly influential before the 20th century. In this last part I will be argue why I think this is, by focusing on the League of Nations and the post-war world order after 1945. By the end of the 19th century, there was general positivity about the future of the peace movements. However, in 1914 the First World War had started, and all the positivity was gone in an instant. The wave of nationalism had won over all the other ideologies. However, the end of one of the bloodiest wars in history ended with a new world order. American President Woodrow Wilson had a vision for a League of Nations to avoid another catastrophic war. This is the first true point when Kant's peace philosophy would be tested on the world stage. During the peace discussion in Versailles, President Wilson brought his League of Nations vision to the European powers. Important points like open diplomacy, free trade, and reduction of national military seemed almost directly taken from perpetual peace. Kant was also very opposed to European colonization, which was also discussed in Versailles. However, the main point of the League of Nations was the League itself. Closely related to the second definitive article of perpetual peace, a sort of prototype of a federation of free states, Cory, lecture, the League of Nations. However, while the League of Nations did become a reality, it was not nearly as effective as Woodrow Wilson had hoped. Firstly, U.S. Republicans opposed joining the League, wanting to focus more on isolationist America. So, the creators of the League never up joining it. Secondly, Britain, and France, the two largest world powers, did not want to let go of their colonies. Lastly, the League never actually managed to contain the truly important crises and wars, like the economic crisis of 1929 and the Second World War. Kant's true influence was seen after the Second World War, Corey, Lecture, The League of Nations. After the war, unlike after the First World War, the United States now stood as the mostly unrivaled global power in the world, followed only by a weakened Soviet Union, and the world saw the decline of European global power. Political leaders were now determined to not repeat the failures of the League of Nations. As a consequence of the war, the Allies created the United Nations, which would be an organization for diplomacy and cooperation which the League of Nations was meant to work as. The structure of the UN was essentially a compromise between the realism of great power domination and the public desire for democratic internationalism. The organization had an explicit commitment to human rights, social and economic development. While not working perfectly and being especially constrained during the Cold War rivalry between the US and the Soviet Union, 
This liberal organization has acquired the membership of nearly all countries on earth and has had numerous successes in stopping conflicts and crises. The purpose of the UN is in some ways a Kantian dream come true. While anyone can argue about the effectiveness of the UN, the philosophy of the UN is very much based in perpetual peace, Courtright, p. 114. Furthermore, the devastated Western European powers decided to create the European coal and steel community, which would ultimately evolve into the European Union of today. This organization is another dream come true for Kant, who argued for a federation of states in his definitive article. Economic cooperation, mutual security and a louder global voice are some of the main points of both Kant and the European Union. The federation has grown in to include many of the European countries, and it can be argued it has kept the peace in Europe. The post-World War order also saw an increased rate of decolonization and a spread of democracy, both Kantian ideals for a perpetual peace. The democratic peace theory has held ground, with very few if any examples of democracies fighting wars against each other, Courtright, p. 254. The ideas of a Kantian liberal peace were not truly explored before the 20th century, first with the creation of League of Nations, and then with a post-World War II world order. I have argued how the 19th century the ideas of a liberal peace were far overshadowed by nationalism and socialism, so far that it was only a small footnote in that decade. In many ways, the latter half of the 20th century until today is one large experiment of Kantian peace philosophy, through the lens of the United Nations, the European Union, democracy and decolonization. Summary In this essay I have argued whether I think Anthony Adolf's quote about perpetual peace is true or not. I covered the preliminary and definitive articles to understand what kind of peace Kant is arguing for. Furthermore, I covered the most influential movements of the 19th century, revealing that Kant's liberal theory played a small part of that century. Lastly, I addressed the 20th century's post-World War's ideas and argued that they were based in Kantian peace philosophy. My main argument was that history after Kant was not a series of footnotes to his peace theory, as his influence was not felt before over a decade after his death. References Bennett, Zachary. Immanuel Kant, Perpetual Peace, A Philosophic Sketch, 19th of January 2016. University of Texas at Austin, https colon slash slash www.classicsawstrategy.com slash 2016 slash 01 slash Kant Perpetual Peace 1795.html. Corey, Nottam. International Peace Lectures 1, Kant's Perpetual Peace, 2, Peace Movements, 3, The League of Nations, 2021. Courtright, David. Peace, 2008, Cambridge University Press, Cambridge.